Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. I think there's power for the people telling the story. And I think there's power for the rest of us because we can learn lessons and we can take those lessons and not only apply them to our own lives, but we can share them with the people that we love, the people in our circle of influence. And and I don't want it to say that, well, I learned what you did wrong so that I do something right and then I'm safer or whatever. People that have been victimized, they're not to blame. So I I don't want it to come across that I'm saying, well, they did something wrong, so we'll learn from their mistakes. We'll learn from their experiences. These victims did not ask to be victimized. Nothing that they did made it right for someone to do what that person did. But if we can learn how to be cautious in a way that we would not have otherwise known, I think there's power in that story in that way too. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. My guest, Lori Morrison, is a Christian who happens to be a PI, a private investigator. She also hosts the podcast called The Unlovely Truth, where she explores the intersection of faith and true crime. In each of her episodes, she discusses evil, and she's not making it up. Evil is real. And all of this is intriguing to me because as Christians, we have a huge fascination with crime. I think the crime podcasts are the number one growing podcast in all time, but we don't want anything to do with it in our own lives. And I can't blame you there because if I'm honest, neither do I. We tend to shun evil to the point that we completely avoid it. We pray it away. We're afraid to engage it. And we're horrified by the news, the headlines in the news. But not only does Lori engage evil on a daily basis from the perspective of helping families find answers about their loved ones, but she also serves female inmates through a Bible study. I think about the courage that it takes to see both sides of the equation. And as she shares her experiences, I realized how much intention that it takes to stay balanced, to have compassion for both the family of the victim and the criminal, and yet engage in the fight for justice. 
but as Christians, isn't that what we're required to do? Be in the world, but not of it? Lori recalls the true crime story that Jesus uses as a teaching tool. And in doing so, she shows us how we are to combat evil. And that is to become engaged in the fight to offset evil. Lori says that it's not about becoming a PI yourself. Each of us can make our own personal impact and there's work to do. And we as individuals can make an impact on both sides of the equation of good and evil. As Christians, we reveal the heart of God in our normal day-to-day activities through our skills and passions, et cetera. We have the opportunity to shine the light Christ into the darkest parts of life and to let a hurting world know that God has the power and the authority to turn evil for our good and his glory. Whether that's a family that gets closure and personal justice for their loved one or the repentant heart of a criminal who becomes sold out for Christ and uses their past to heal others walking the same one. If you're a Christian, you know that God loves everyone without exception. And I know sometimes I'm not comfortable with that, but that's not my value system. That's heaven's value system. That's God's heart. And thank God it is because that's why I'm a believer today. So our first step in using God's light to dispel the darkness of this life is is to engage the heart of God. Let's find out what he wants to use about us. How has he uniquely created us? What sort of skills that do we have that we can use? And then where does he want to work through us? Where do we go? Where do we apply these things? Where do we apply our gifts and talents, time and energy resources? And then let's use Lori's example of how she is purposeful about taking care of herself so that she's able to balance this push and pull of life with the passions of God's heart. Welcome, Lori. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I'm excited that you're here. From The moment I met you, I have been and continue to be intrigued with how you blend your Christian faith with your profession, uh, which is that of a private investigator. So tell us a little bit about how you view the work you do through the lens of your faith. And I'll even start with a more lighthearted question, if you will, because this is a very heavy, in my opinion, heavy topic because you deal with murder, sexual abuse, drugs. What is the most rewarding part of your job? It's definitely when people reach out and say, you know, because you did this, I felt like I could go forward with this or with my podcast. I've had people say, I thought about being a PI, but I didn't think I could, but now I want to try. And just seeing people, women especially, realize that they can do more than they think. Do you find that most of your clients are women? This is just a curiosity question. A lot of times it is. um, I work with a lot of families. A lot of times families have maybe not stayed together for the long run, um, whether it's because of the tragedy they've gone through or other reasons. And so a lot of times it is. It's moms reaching out because I think a lot of us, we just have that that nature that we want to help. We want to fix things. We want to take care of people. And so a lot of it is folks reaching out. I had one lady, she had a a cousin, I believe, who was missing. And she just went from convention to convention where 
she knew either investigators or maybe investigative journalists or just anybody she thought could help her. She was that caretaker in her family that was not going to let things go until they knew what had happened. Mm. And it takes people like that, I think, with the perseverance and the courage. Yes. So she eventually connected up with you, I guess. She did. And I was just a newbie at the time. I really was. I was so green. And she just, she caught me by surprise. And I felt terrible that I wasn't more experienced. I was able to point her in a direction of people who could help her better than I could. And I've just always wondered how that turned out for her. Because she she told me she'd been doing this for years. She just had this little battered accordion folder mm-hmm. with documents in it that she just clutched to her chest mm-hmm. and just wanted so badly to find out what had happened to someone that that she cared so deeply for. A lot of times when I hear cases, especially with parents, because I can relate to that and their child is missing. And I just pray like, Lord, let them know where their child is, whether it be good or bad, please show them where their child is. Give them closure of some sort. If they bring them home or if they have to bury them, please let them know where their, where their child is at. That just breaks my heart. So for you to be able to give in that situation direction, but resolution. So do you get to see that? I would say a lot often. Not as often as you would think. There are a lot of cases that by the time they get to a private investigator, it's pretty far down the road of police have tried everything or, or sometimes the police decided it was not something that needed investigating. And so then they didn't necessarily collect all of the information or just the, the evidence that you would have wanted them to. So by the time I see things, I never want to say that they're hopeless, but they're, they're cases that are going to be hard. But I've also learned that justice has a lot of different layers. A lot of times we think about, well, justice is somebody getting arrested, they get prosecuted, they get put in jail. Boom, that's justice. Yeah. But there are a lot of cases where that's just for a number of different reasons, never going to happen. And so sometimes justice is just a family feeling like they finally know what happened, even if maybe the rest of the world will never know publicly. Um, Sometimes it's just being able to tell their loved one's story. Maybe a perpetrator has put a story out into the world that suits their best interests, but the family says, no, we want our loved one's story told from their perspective. And so they feel like that's a measure of justice. And then just last night, I was talking to someone who her sister had been murdered and the case went cold. They, they did finally arrest and prosecute and convict someone. But she said, you know, justice is if my sister was still alive. She said, so for me in this life, there is no way to get justice. That will be when I see her again in heaven. She said, but what we could do here on earth was get accountability. And so for her, that was, that was her measure of justice was the accountability. Justice seems to be different definitions for different people, or maybe even different situations. And then some have to make peace with what type of justice they have. So I think that's a very difficult end results to see that it's not being done like you think it should be done. 
you just, you do what you can for your clients. You have to remember that this, this is not your story. It's their story. And so you kind of, I, I don't want to say depersonalize because you do empathize with them. You even, you empathize and you connect with this person that you've never even met, whether it's a missing person or, or someone who's lost their life. And, and you do get attached. I don't think you're doing a very good job if you completely separate yourself from the situation, but you, you do have to a little bit and just say, this is not my story. I have a role in this story. And so I need to just play my role. And, and that helps me a lot. But then you just have to really, really celebrate the wins that you do get. I have a case that just, uh, well, it's not my case. I did a little bit of consulting on it. Um, and so I've watched it and I've followed it. And they just had a civil verdict. The, uh, the authorities would not take it to trial. The family went the civil route and they just won an enormous verdict over $200 million. But for them, that wasn't the point at all. The point was that publicly, the person they felt was responsible for their loved one's death, publicly, a group said, yes, this person is responsible. And that was what they wanted. To get that acknowledgement. So it sounds like in the profession that you have, you have this opportunity to give those who've passed on a voice, maybe through yes. their family or their loved one, but it sounds like you're giving them a voice. What's the power of that? Well, it's huge. I think that you know, our brains are wired to absorb information in story form. That's how we remember things well. That's why there are fairy tales. We use them to teach our kids lessons. Jesus used storytelling. It is a huge part of his ministry. And so I think that there is power in letting people's stories be told. I think there's power for the people telling the story. And I think there's power for the rest of us because we can learn lessons and we can take those lessons and not only apply them to our own lives, but we can share them with the people that we love, the people in our circle of influence. And I don't want it to say that, well, I learned what you did wrong so that I do something right and then I'm safer or whatever. People that have been victimized, they're not to blame. So I, I don't want it to come across that I'm saying, well, they did something wrong, so we'll learn from their mistakes. We'll learn from their experiences. These victims did not ask to be victimized. Nothing that they did made it right for someone to do what that person did. But if we can learn how to be cautious in a way that we would not have otherwise known, I think there's power in that story in that way too. There's different layers of power taken responsibility in a way that you get to have a narrative about what was done versus someone else, the news, the criminal. So yeah, that's very good. That's and the news, good. I will say, the media is really important in putting the stories out there. But take, take what you're hearing at face value. Producers often have their own agenda of what they want the story to tell. I've worked on cases that have been publicized uh, in print, on television, and they're not always correct. So just take that at face value. I see a lot of people 
and it's great that people are engaging online and they're having these discussions and this back and forth, but it's easy to see a news story and say, well, I know exactly what happened. It's obvious who did this or who did that. And the producer is only letting you see a part of the real story. And so just keep that in mind. The sensationalized part, maybe. And also, too, do you have trouble with people feeling like they watch Law and Order on TV and therefore it should go a certain way or look a certain way? Well, I watch Law and Order, too. It's one of my favorites. So <laughs> I, I've got no problem with that. But again, just understand they're telling a story in an hour. They're not going to be able to tell everything that goes on. Um, things don't get resolved as quickly as they do on TV. Um, not every SVU person is as nice and concerned about you as Olivia Benson is. So just, you know, realize that the, the stories they're telling have value, but they're not the entire truth. Um, I, I'll even get crazy and my husband's like, why do you watch this if it frustrates you so much? But, you know, an attorney, a defense attorney especially will jump up and shout, objection. That's not how that works in court. You have to have a basis for your objection. You have to state it. They don't get that animated most of the time. It's pretty cut and dry. So just know that you're watching a story for sure. Crime TV, crime podcast, crime anything is very popular. What do you credit that to? Again, I think it goes back to that whole idea of story and fairy tales teaching us how to keep ourselves safe. I think these are almost like grown-up fairy tales. And so I think we watch them thinking, okay, I'm going to know what is good to do and what is bad to do to avoid this situation. I think some of it is just the whole curiosity. We're rubbernecking like we do when we pass a, an accident on the highway. It's that human element of drama. I mean, I know for me, the entire reason I got into being a PI, I was following a true crime case because I identified with the victim. She was about the same age and looked an awful lot like my oldest daughter. And so this case was cold and they were reporting on it. And I just thought, what if that had been my daughter? Who would help me? And so I thought, well, I've got a few skills. I'm not ex-police, I'm not ex-military, but I've got a few skills. And so they had highlighted the, the female investigator that the family had hired. And I just messaged her and said, hey, I've got a little bit of a legal background because I was working as paralegal at the time, uh, which I still do some. And I said, if there's anything I can do, organizing case files, reviewing documents, whatever, I, I really want to help. And so that's how it all got started. And so I really try to encourage people, you don't have to have this big, huge skill set where you've studied a lot and you've got a huge background in this type of work. We all have skills that God has given us that we can use to help people in this arena. If God's put that passion in your heart, there are ways you can follow it. And I love to teach people how they can do that. You made a comment earlier when we were talking about a private investigator or a person of impact. Yeah, you can be a different kind of PI. You don't have to, to go the, the crazy extreme route like I did and actually become a licensed private investigator. You can be that PI who is a person of impact. You're just doing what you can to help people that have been touched by crime, 
so many more people than you realize. It could be someone who a crime didn't happen to them, but it affected a family member. Well, there's a ripple effect. Those family members have all been affected by that crime. Uh, I mentioned a lady that I talked to last night. Her sister's case had gone cold for several years, and then it was finally solved. But even now, 30 years later, she gets a call from the district attorney saying this perpetrator has um, petitioned for clemency. He got a life without parole sentence, and he wants basically the governor to give him a pardon to get out. And she said, it just brought it all back up. And I had people contacting me and I didn't realize how much it had affected them back in the day. They had uh, friends of their lost family member who lost touch with them because they thought the family blamed them. And they carried that guilt for years. And she said, we never blamed them, never. And so, you know, again, I think the whole storytelling, getting out there what happened can give people a lot of healing because they suddenly realize that they didn't know the whole story. And now that they do, they look at things a lot differently. And so that healing for people is a huge part of, of this, I don't want to call it an industry, but this, this area of work. And I think we need so many different kinds of people with different skills to be able to step in and help with that. So the woman from the neighborhood who sees a car sitting somewhere or she notices there's a street light out, she can be a person of impact as well as someone who can actually come alongside someone in the actual work of a a court case. We all have different skills. There's, There's tons of stuff I can't do. I'm not good at. I don't know how to do. But other people can step in there. Say you're really good on social media and you just you like it. It comes easy to you. There are so many families that put up social media pages because they have a missing loved one or they have a murdered loved one and the case has never been solved and they're hoping that someone will come forward with more information. Well, maybe you could volunteer to help that family manage that page because it's overwhelming for these families. Mm -hmm. They do it because they need to do it, but there's just so much to wade through. And you can also keep them from seeing kind of the troll comments you can block those because every case has those you know the ugly part of human nature well if your loved one hadn't done this they wouldn't have gotten killed or it's just unbelievable the things that people will do i featured um one case and i talked to the mom of a murdered young man she would get people that would contact her through this facebook page and say hey i'm a psychic And if you'll send me nude pictures of yourself, I'll tell you what happened. I know who killed your son and I'll tell you, but you have to do this for me. We would never realize that that stuff is happening every day. I'm speechless. Yeah, I was too. Just when Um, you think you have seen the lowest depth of ugliness that people can sink to, there's another. I think of high profile cases. Can you imagine how much they get when I think of John Bonet Ramsey, when I think about her? I can only imagine. This was not a high profile case at all. I would say it was somewhat high profile in the area where it happened, but not even statewide, certainly not nationwide. Um, of course, it's on the internet, so there's there's pockets of that, but it's not something most people would know about if I threw that name out there. 
so, I mean, there's just, there's families hurting everywhere. And so just being a person who can even say, do you need to talk today? I can be someone that'll just listen. Because when you've lost a family member, especially to violence, people don't know what to say, so they just ignore you. And so these people feel so isolated and so alone. Just having someone that says, I care. I can't say that I understand, but I care about you. And I'm here if you need to talk. That's got power in it as well, because I think it means something to know you're not alone, that somebody mm-hmm. does care. When I think about having to wade through conversations like this and listen to the details and see graphic pictures, in what ways do you see God show up? Oh, all over the place, honestly. I mean, he wired me the way he wired me to be able to do things that, that not everybody can do. And he wired other people in a way to do things I can't do. And so looking at autopsy photos doesn't bother me, oddly enough, because I know that that person is not there. That was the vehicle that carried that person's soul. But that soul's gone. And so if that vehicle can tell me things that will help me find out what happened, then, then I, can, I can look at that with no problem. Uh, but I have, I have my limitations too. Can't do cannibals. everybody's talking about the new Jeffrey Dahmer um, movie can't do it not gonna do it I'm with you on that yeah so but again you know I'll see information pop up and you're thinking why now why why well that's God it wasn't time earlier that wouldn't have been seen in the right light earlier it wouldn't have been understood earlier um And, you know, sometimes cases are cold, not because nobody knows what happens, but because people were afraid. But then as time passes, relationships change. You're not willing to um, hide things for a certain person anymore. You're not afraid of that person anymore. Maybe that person's passed um, or you just feel stronger in your own right. And so there's always hope for cold cases. And again, that's a God thing. He is working things out in his timing. Um, and I, I also kind of hesitate to say it that way because I don't ever want victims to feel like, well, you have to wait and you have to suffer some more because God's just not ready to fix this yet. It's, it's not that simple. Again, sometimes it's because maybe uh, a certain forensic type of information is not available yet, but there will be a time when certain evidence, things can be gleaned from that that can't be gleaned yet. Or again, you've got a witness who in five years will be strong enough to come forward and they're too afraid right now. Um, It's amazing how many people will confess to having done horrible things and then say, and you know what I'm capable of, so if you say anything, you're next. Well, okay, if somebody says that to me, I'm gonna think twice before turning them in. Definitely. So, yes, I I always encourage people, if you know something about a crime, come forward. But I also understand if you really think that will put your life in danger. So there are anonymous tip lines. I know people don't always trust those. And so I say, call me, reach out to me. I'll pass it on. And I, I won't say where I got it. But families need to know what happened to their loved ones. And so if if you know anything And even if you think it means nothing, 
just bring it forward. Let let the the police and the investigators decide what is really pertinent information and what isn't. Because sometimes we see something, but we don't even realize it was a crime that was taking place. So we have the answer or a detail and we don't even think about coming forward with it because we didn't make the connection. Exactly. And that's why, again, these Facebook pages that families put out there are so important. And so if something has happened and you see a Facebook page and you're like, oh, I know a lot of people that live in that area. Share it on your Facebook page, because even if you don't know something, someone that sees what you posted might know something. That's good. That's that ripple effect in so many different ways. And again, you're being a person of impact. You're making a difference. And all you did was share a Facebook post. It's, It's so easy to do. You kind of touched on this a few minutes ago, but because you and I had a conversation around this, I wanted to see if there was any more you had to say, because you made the comment that what you thought your work was about versus what God was showing you that it was about. And I guess it came, comes back to that justice part. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that or elaborate on? Well, God's just taught me so much because I'm a very uh, type A, Enneagram one, whatever you want to call it. And I had that very black and white view that justice is you catch the bad person, you take them through the court system, you put them in jail and that's justice. And that's so easy for me to say when I'm not the victim or the victim's not one of my loved ones. And then on the flip side, I also help with a Bible study in a correction facility. And so you see people that are incarcerated for things that were were crimes, definitely. I'm not, not trying to say that people shouldn't be accountable for their actions. But when I saw kind of the, the lives that they were living, the stresses they were under, the way they were raised. It's like I'm running a hundred yard dash with them and I got to start on the 50. Well, of course I'm going to win. So I think there's, there's got to be compassion and mercy as well when people want to do better, when people do truly repent and they're sorrowful for what they do. And we don't, this is, this is a really tough one and I struggle with it too. I'm certainly not saying that I've got this down, but biblically, when you're sitting across from someone who's in jail for whether it's a drug offense or whatever it is, or you're interviewing someone you think has killed someone, they are dearly loved children of God, no less than I am. And I have to continually remind myself of that because it's so easy to say, well, God loves me better because I don't kill people. I don't rob people. I don't do this. I don't do that. And God doesn't love that behavior, of course, but he doesn't love it when I gossip or when I'm curt and short with somebody for no reason that they didn't deserve me treating them that way. And so just wrapping our heads around, we're all in this together. And we need justice for people who are not only victims of legal crimes, but people who are victims of their upbringing. They're victims of being trapped in a mental illness that they're not getting adequate help for. I mean, there are truly evil people out there. But a lot of people that are caught up in our justice system are people that they need something other than simply incarceration. They need mental help. They need Um, educational help. They need um, 
just seeing that there's a different way to live. I mean, a lot of, you see a lot of people in, in the penal system that they are third generation inmates. It's all they know. It's how they were raised. It's what they were taught. And since the vast majority of people that are incarcerated will get out someday, don't we want them coming out better than they were when they went in? Don't we want them to have more resources, more skills, so that they will choose a different way of life? I would agree. I would agree with that. But I don't know that there's much of the rehabilitation going on in jails. I don't know. I'm not there. It's hit or miss. It really, really is. And I learned also very quickly, the Bible study in jail looks a lot different than Bible study at the church does. You know, you've got people that they come to your Bible study, but they're going to get released next week. So you've got one time to talk to them. You've got one time to make an impression. You've got one time to let them know that God loves them and wants better for them. And so just sitting down with your little six-week Bible study isn't isn't always what they need at that time. Makes sense. And so we work really hard on just letting them know that they can make different choices, that God is with them. And if they want to do better, he'll be there with them. There will be setbacks. It's not all, you don't become a Christian and then everything's perfect, but there is a better way. They don't have to feel alone. They don't have to feel defeated. And a lot of times, it's very parallel to how I see some of my clients. They're, they've experienced this awful, awful crime that's affected them, their loved ones, and they feel alone. They even feel that, that maybe God is very far from them. They feel defeated. They don't know what to do next. And so we just need people that are willing to link arms and say, I'm not entirely sure what's next either, but let's figure it out together. That's a very courageous position in the sense that here you are helping victims and yet talking to criminals about God. I'm balancing the scales a little bit, maybe. That's very wise of you, really, to give you a realistic picture of humanity. There's always the cross-section of good and evil. And it is very sad when evil impacts someone's life, but it's a very real situation. I don't know any of us who get to. Evil doesn't look like what we think it does. We assume that the junkie on the corner shooting up, they've given themselves over to evil. When we don't realize that a leader in our church is sexually abusing one of our fellow congregants. So, you know, I think just being able to be open to the fact that evil could exist anywhere. And so when someone says, hey, this is happening to me, it's so easy to say, but that's a pastor, but that's a teacher, but that's a police officer. And I've highlighted cases where every single one of those professions was the person that had given themselves over to evil. So you know, learn to trust in character over titles. That's good. Say that again. We really need to learn to trust in character, proven character over titles. I'm going to amen that. That's good. And I I mean, I get it. It's easy to do. You see somebody that 
presents themselves well and they're charismatic and it's easy to just feel like you can trust them. But predators know how to present themselves so they don't scare you off. Otherwise, they wouldn't be very successful. If every bad guy was, um, you know, stooped over and drooling and leaving a trail of slime behind them, they'd be very easy to identify and avoid. But just like the Bible describes Satan, his other name, Lucifer, light, he was described as being beautiful. And yet the Bible tells us Jesus had a form that was not particularly attractive to anyone. We always make pictures of him where he looks awesome. That's not how the Bible actually describes him. So let's look to character. Let's look to how people, not just what they say, but how they act, what they do, how they treat people. When you notice red flags, don't just say, oh, I'm, I'm making a big deal out of nothing. That's A red flag is something that's supposed to get your attention. Um, I had somebody tell me something so funny the other day. They said, I've learned that 12 red flags is not a dozen roses. Oh, gosh. <laughs> It's a sign that I need to run, especially as women. We love to be very forgiving. We love to give people the benefit of the doubt. And we need to stand up and say, that's a problem. Maybe it's not a big problem, but it's a problem. And I need to look at it and I need to investigate this. Don't go into a relationship fixing someone. Don't marry a project. Amen. (laughs) Marry a person who has enough self-worth and values other people enough to affix their own problems themselves. I think when you say predatory people, they, they know how to read their victims and they're going to find people who, for instance, the young woman who's come from a background of sexual abuse already. And so now she's going to be her own internal dialogue to shoot down anything that the red flags are putting up. So I think that's very conniving on the predator's part. Yes. And they will gaslight you. They will make you feel like whatever you bring up is actually your fault. Well, you have a very distrustful nature. Well, you're paranoid. Well, you're, you're seeing things. You're, you're not understanding what that really means. No, he is a very smooth talker. If you're in a relationship where everything that happens is your fault, that's a big red flag. And I don't just mean like a dating or a marriage relationship. This could be a friendship. This could be a mentorship. It, it could be any kind of relationship. And so if you've got someone that you feel very uncomfortable with for some reason, figure out why. Don't just let that go. Don't write that off. And, and I'm certainly not saying let's all go confront every person. Um, but if you have concerns, take that to someone else. And say, you know, have you seen this? Do you feel this? Is this part of your experience with this person? And if someone is really out of line, definitely say something. Um, I don't care if they're a pastor. I don't care if they're a teacher. I don't care if they're, well, don't mouth off to a police officer because they might arrest you. But find the appropriate channels and times to make your concerns known. There is nothing wrong with that. Even if it's just taking the time to step back and process for yourself, like, why did that bother me? This person's yes. trying to tell me I- I've got it wrong, but it bothered me that, mm-hmm. that got under my skin or really ticked me off, whatever. So even doing that is, uh, is, it has value to it to it review does. that. 
It most certainly does. You had mentioned that Jesus shared a story, a criminal story. Talk to us about that. Most people don't realize that one of Jesus's most famous, most well-known parables is actually a true crime story. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here we have robbers that beat and steal and leave a man for dead. There's some major felonies right there. But yet Jesus used that as a teaching lesson. I think sometimes we feel like, oh, if we're being good Christians, we don't think about unpleasant things. We don't talk about unpleasant things. We only focus on the positive. But the reality is that people around us are suffering. And if we don't engage with them where they are, then we're not fulfilling the command that Jesus gives us at the end of that story. Because if you remember, it starts off with a smarty pants lawyer. And he's not the type of lawyer you're thinking. He's an expert in the law, which is the religious law. And so he's asking Jesus, so what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And I think it was really kind of a disingenuous question to start with. I think what he really was asking is, what's the least amount of effort I have to put out there? Because Jesus says, are you keeping the commandments? All this, yes, done that. And he said, um, he wanted to know, well, who's my neighbor? If I'm supposed to do all this for my neighbor, let's, let's shrink the pool of people I have to help. And so then Jesus starts this story. And he ends it asking, who was a neighbor to that man? Was it the, the two different religious men? I think it was a Levite and a priest that passed him by and did nothing. Not even a hey, bro, praying for you. It was the Samaritan that everybody looked down on, everybody hated. He was the one that actually stopped and gave this man aid and said that he would even follow up on his way back through to see that the man was still doing well. Jesus says, who was this guy's neighbor? And he has to admit it, it was the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So he doesn't say, sit in your Bible studies or your small groups, whatever your, your tribe calls it, and just talk about me and, and do all the fun things. We're to go and do like the Samaritan did and help the people who are hurting that Jesus puts in our path. It is interesting that the people who knew to do right should have done right, didn't do right. But the one who has mercy on us at one time or another. You're right. When you say that, it reminds me of the fact that we want to point the finger at a murderer, but God says we are murderers when we hate people, when, you know, in our heart, we hate them, but we keep it quiet, but we're murderers, adulterers. If you look upon a woman with lust, things like that. So there is that equivalent sin that we get to hide behind a, a perfect, I don't know about perfect, but a different facade Yes. of who we are. So when God's talking about that too, I'm also struck by the fact God's truth is light for us. And so when we walk in God's truth, when we keep his value system, we're bringing light into these dark places mm-hmm. and that dispels false lies and evil. Yes. Darkness isn't a thing unto itself. It's simply the absence of light. And so when we carry that light into these places, that's when the darkness recedes. 
it has no choice. Mm-hmm. Giving people the voice to speak their truth as to what has happened to them as victims that is pushing back that darkness yes. and adding light into the situation. What do you struggle with the most? Oh gosh, that's a really good question. The type A, Enneagram one person, that's not fair. That person shouldn't have done that. That person must be punished. That was a huge struggle for me. And the more I see the, the gray as opposed to the black and white, I think some of my biggest struggles are why do people do these things to other people? And I know it's because we live in a broken world. I know it's because our hearts are selfish above all else. And without living for Christ, minute by minute, making that conscious decision, any of us could slip into these evil acts. Something else we don't want to admit. And so I think for me, the the hardest thing is watching that happen and watching people not want to help. That's tough. Seeing cases where, and I don't want to just completely dog on the police because most of them do a wonderful job, but I've seen them just not care enough to, to even treat survivors well. It's almost like they forget that these are people experiencing the worst time in their life and they need a little extra compassion. And a lot will give it to them. I'm amazed when I see the ones that don't. Um, I'm amazed when I see the hatefulness online aimed at survivors. And I'm amazed at myself as well when we walk by and we, we don't try to help where we can. Are you successful at not being able to take all of that home? Yes and no. I mean, some days I'm better at that than others. I think I've learned that it is really, really important to stay connected with my faith community because they ground me. They remind me that my experiences aren't everybody's experience 24 hours a day. You know, just making sure I make time to step away, spending time with my family, spending time with my friends, spending time just with God, um, getting out into nature and appreciating all over again his creation but you have to make a conscious effort to do those things reminding myself to 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 take those steps because if I don't take care of myself I'm no good to anybody else you know anybody that has flown on an airplane knows when they do the little safety talk they always tell you that if you lose cabin pressure and the masks drop down put your own on first because if you don't you're not going to be able to help anybody else. And so anybody out there that that is a caretaker type person, take care of yourself. Anybody that wants to get into this type of work um, to any degree, make sure you're taking care of yourself first. Then you'll be able to pour out and help others. That sounds like you're constantly engaged in balancing that law and order with grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And you're even having to do that in your own life in order to stay balanced and then root yourselves in your family and guard yourself with your Christian friends and your congregation. Your... So that sounds like it's something though that you have actively got to pursue. Yes, for sure. And surround yourself with good people. And again, 
there's that tension and that balance that you have to find that people that aren't walking in the light aren't going to know how to do that if we don't show them. So you can't cut yourself off from, from that part of humanity. But at the same time, be wise like Jesus was. He had a small group that he let get closest to him. And then even within that group, he had an even smaller one. And so guard your heart and guard against letting people that will not value it close to it. I think as I get older or maybe as life gets crazier, I think that's wise words for all of us. Yes, for sure. The time with the ones who value the most in order to be able to serve the least, because that's where if you get filled up, that's how you show up in other areas of your life. And for us as Christians specifically get filled up with who God is, and then we get to pour out that overflow into those around us mm-hmm. and into the, those who could use a helping hand. Have you ever experienced a repentant criminal? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. I was put in touch with a man. He was a guest on my podcast. He had been in the New York mafia and it did not go well for him. People romanticize criminality. It mostly does not go well for the criminals. He ended up in jail and, um, through his experiences in jail and the people that God put in his path, he did come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And a lot of people say, oh, well, jail conversion. Yeah, that's, that's not a real one. But for him, he has proved in the years since he's been out, he ministers, he really serves mm-hmm. just in an amazing way. His name is Robert Borelli. Look him up. He's got a great book out as well. Spell Borelli for us. B-O-R-E-L-L-I. So look him up. Um, His book, I hope I get this title right. If I remember it correctly, it was Confessions of a Mafia Madman. Or that might be the subtitle. But he truly, truly has repented. And he has turned his life over to serving the God that saved him. So yeah, it happens. It most definitely happens. You step into some very volatile, potentially volatile situations. Have you ever felt in danger? Not really, because I am risk averse, most definitely. And so, you know, there have been cases that I have declined because I felt like they were so volatile and that I did not have the, uh, the experience and the knowledge to deal with them. Because we think of mafia, we think of maybe New York, we think of possibly Chicago, Las Vegas. The mafia is everywhere. We have it here, yeah. They just go by different names in different places. And so I've had a couple of of cases that have come my way that uh, I believed in one of them, what we call the Dixie Mafia down south, had some hooks in that one. And I said, you know, that's, that's not my wheelhouse. But let me see if I can find somebody to refer you to, because there are people that are good at that. Not my wheelhouse. I always make sure that other people know where I am, what I'm doing there, how long I'm expected to be there. When I work in groups with other investigators, we'll turn on location services so that we all know where everybody else is. We're constantly checking in. If I feel like a situation is going to be more than I can handle, I take someone with me 
I've, I've had situations I just said, okay, we're going to find out this information another way because this is not looking good and, you know, it's not worth it. I, I worry some about everybody wants to be the citizen detective and they want to be the one. And that's great. And we do need people helping, but know your limits. Know what's safe, know what's not safe. And yeah, I worry about people being so gung-ho to do a good thing. I know their hearts are in the right place. But um, you know, if somebody is willing to rob, steal, kill, they're not just gonna look at you and go, okay, I, I won't hurt you because you didn't know what you were getting yourself into. So you just you have to be so aware, so aware of what's going on, what could potentially go wrong. And if it does, how are you gonna react? You got to know all that before you even get started. I would imagine that's one of the best ways to guard yourself is to know your limitations and not get outside of that. Yes, that and for anybody, whether you're doing any kind of investigating or anything, situational awareness is critical. You know, if you have to call 911 and you've lost track of where you are, they're going to have a harder time finding you. So know where you are, know what's going on around you. If you get into an area, you've taken a wrong turn somewhere, lock your doors. It may be a perfectly safe area, but it's an area you don't know. So lock your doors, get on the phone with somebody. Hey, this is where I am. This is what's going on. Don't feel like you have to tough it out and, and take care of everything yourself. If you need to reach out for help, reach out for help. If you feel threatened, cause a ruckus. I mean, criminals don't want attention drawn to them. So you think somebody's following you, scream, blow a whistle, set off an alarm, honk your horn, do whatever you have to do. Worst case scenario, you're going to be embarrassed. And they didn't even know you were there. They're not following you. But if they are, don't wait till it's too late to get help. What do you want the faith community to know about how God's showing up in these types of situations? I think the biggest thing I want them to know is that he wants us there too. God has chosen to work through people. I mean, he does miraculous things on his own. I get that. But he works through people, you and me. And so when he, when you know he's calling you to something, he's going to equip you. He's going to take care of you. He wants you to be smart and take precautions. Be safe. I don't want anybody to not be safe. But if you know there's something you can help with, do it. Jump in and do it. You will not regret it. You know, I've had people say, oh my gosh, you go into the jail. That's got to be so scary. That's probably the safest place I could be. These folks are, are locked up. They are searched. There are guards there with weapons. I have to pass through several checkpoints before I'm actually in with the people I'm going to serve. And so things are not as scary as sometimes we make it. And I think, you know, we shrink back and we think, okay, we'll just stay in our holy huddle and we'll do our thing. But, you know, that's not what God's called us to do. He wants us to go. How many times does he say, go and do likewise, go and make disciples? Go is a word he uses a lot. So, you know, find a way that you're comfortable and confident, but go. I guess I ponder the idea of evil being so close to God, because when I think about the times that Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness and 
the sons of God and Satan were passing by and Jesus engages Satan and says, where have you been? And that's when they have this conversation about Job. You think about Job, God and Satan are having a conversation because Satan's saying, you know, well, yeah, Job praises you because look, he's got all, all these animals. He's got a family. He's wealthy. Of course he praises you. I bet if you took all that away, he wouldn't. And God says, well, let's, let's see. You can do anything you want to him, but you have to spare his life. But we'll see if he still praises me. And of course he does. But just this idea that, that God and Satan are just, you know, having this conversation kind of sounds kind of chill. And in the same way, we have to realize that we can be having a conversation with somebody and they are just as out to cause terrible things to happen as Satan was. So, you know, don't, don't trust so easily. Yeah. I wonder if God and Satan still has those types of conversation with regard to other people, other Job's. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to put that on my list of questions I want to ask when I get to heaven. Okay. Yeah. I've got a whole list myself. I want a behind the scenes um, rerun of all the times that his hand passed between me and death or me and Ooh. harm. Lori, is there anything that you want listeners to know today about who God is when it comes to evil of the world or anything you want to share about your job and how you perceive God in it? Well, I wish I could say I have the problem of evil all figured out, but I think that's one that, that none of us are, are able to fully comprehend this side of heaven. And so I think for all of us, we just have to, first of all, look in our own lives. Is there something displeasing to God? You know, we think of evil as being super, super extreme. But is there anything I'm doing that's displeasing to God? Like Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye before you pluck the uh, splinter out of someone else's. And then just realize that we're here to help others. And so it's not as hard as you think to find someone that needs you. It doesn't have to be a huge, you know, it'll, you'll see it on 2020 kind of crime. You could have an elderly person in your neighborhood that, that doesn't have family close, that's able to look out for her or him. And you watch out to make sure that they aren't being targeted by a scammer or something like that. There's also, you know, fraud, different types of things with young people. They're just getting their feet wet in the financial world and being independent. And there are people that will pull rental scams on them. So if anybody says you have to pay your deposit with those green dot cards, that's a red flag. A lot of rental scams with that. Um, you know, if you're good with computers, I am not. <laughs> I'm tech challenged. But if you're good with computers, help people that aren't good understand what kind of online things can harm them. You know, don't use public Wi-Fi. I think most of us know that. But I think most of us probably don't know that if you're using like an incognito window or something like that, so you think, okay, I'm all safe. They can't see what I'm doing online. Your ISP can see what you're doing online. Some of the places you're visiting can see what you're doing online. So even though maybe a third party couldn't, your ISP might be selling some of your private information to someone. 
And so just knowing what you're up against is huge. This whole conversation for me has been really about balance mm-hmm. and on so many levels, because I think about our own personal good and evil, right? We've got mm-hmm. to fight and struggle with that. I think about as a Christian, we shy away from evil. We don't want to have anything to do with it. That's the bad guys. And yet God calls us to serve. So now we've got to find this place of balance. I look at your profession where you have to find a balance in order to do your job and to remain healthy for those who you love and show up for in your personal life. It's really, I don't know, my, I am going to ponder this for quite a while after our conversation, because there's so many different layers to this in general between good and evil. Mm-hmm. and us as individuals and our world around us. Is there any parting words you have for our listeners today? Or have you shared all of your wealth of information? Uh, I just I just want everybody that's listening to know how much God loves them, mm-hmm. that he wants the best for them, and that, uh, you know, take your personal safety seriously. You are valuable. You are worthy. And no one should be taking advantage of you in any way. Thank you, Maury. I appreciate that. And I know my listeners are going to find great value in this because again, this is just, this is very layered and very deep if they take the time to, to delve into all the different aspects of what you've shared today. So thank you so much, Lori. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.